Welcome to the Fathers of the Future podcast, episode 2.0 on the digital side, as we are now streaming these bad boys from anywhere and everywhere in the world. I'm joined by a friend of mine now going long, long, way, way, way back, about a decade to the early days of functional fitness, Josh Wagner's, aka J-Wag. How you doing, brother? I'm doing well. Great to be here. I appreciate you having me. Uh, the last time I, I believe I saw you, I actually had dinner at your house. That's right. And, and we're, we're, if you're, if your son is now set, it's gotta be seven years ago. Yeah. I remember when Nathan was just born, bringing him in the carrier to CrossFit Scottsdale at the time and setting him there while I was doing wall balls. <laughs> so you now have three kids. I do. I have an 11-year-old daughter who leads the pack, a seven-year-old son, and then a four-year-old daughter who is by far the most challenging, we'll say, of the three. Ch challenging daughters. That seems to be a recurring theme in my life and a, and mm -hmm. a big topic around here. I'm what, sure you know what, all about what it. What makes her so extreme? It's funny. I remember when my wife, Megan, was pregnant with Carson. We were in San Diego, you know, doing the beach, doing the pool, and there was this family running around. And we said, oh, wow, that's going to be us in a couple of months. And we're talking to the mom, we're talking to the dad. And the mom and, and my wife are sitting there having this conversation. And out of nowhere, the dad goes, dude, here's the deal. The third one is going to scream the loudest. They're fighting for attention. They're fighting to be heard. They're fighting for this, they're fighting for that. And I don't know if that was foreshadowing or that was just the expectation that was set in my head. But she is always fighting for attention and it's just a constant power struggle. She's always looking for, look at me, help me with this. If you don't answer right away, you scream louder. If her brother's doing this, she gets him pushed out of the way. You know, she's just always jockeying for position, I think, being the, the bottom of the tail there. Uh, and do the girls align uh, or is it pretty much every man and woman for themselves? That's an interesting question because both girls, and I feel bad sometimes for my son because he's bookended by women and they're hard on him. I mean, they can be mean, both of them from both ends. He gets it, you know, from the older one who's preteen, I think a little bit younger than yours. And the little one who's, you know, four years old and they mimic each other to a, to a lot. So he gets pushed around quite a bit. So I do try to find opportunities and maybe have a soft spot for him in that not Trying to be, you know, as a parent, you don't ever want to play favorites, but it certainly comes out from time to time. Yeah, my boy is very sensitive and my girl is tough as nails. Like That's a great way to put it. Yeah, she, she spits screws. I mean, yeah. she is like a fire breather. She's a dragon. And yes. oftentimes he knows he can't respond the way he wants to. If he had a brother, mm -hmm. he'd probably kick his ass. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Nathan is the same way. He gets very sensitive and he shells up, his face gets flushed and, you know, depending on who's around, he cries. Right. Whereas Carson just, she'll fight back. She'll push him. She'll get into him. She'll do all this and that. And you're like, Holy crap. The oldest is four years older than Nathan. So, you know, she's got her own preteen angsty issues and, and yeah. we've thrown a few curveballs at her even without COVID here recently that she's a little angry with us about. So that's caused it's, it's challenges of its own. What was your work life like before the shutdown? Yeah, it's, it's, I've tried to 
get as close to a nine to five as I can, eight to five as I can, just to have some semblance of balance. Were However, you, were you, were you traveling or working in an office? Yeah. We have an office in North Scottsdale, uh, very close to where CrossFit Scottsdale used to be over off of uh, Butheris and Scottsdale road, right behind the Scottsdale quarter. It's about a 25 minute commute for me. It's, it's actually a good shutdown time. I tune out a little bit. Uh, I'll listen to sports talk radio because it is meaningless. Like sports are great. They're entertainment. They're fun, but it really doesn't, it's not life or death. So it's just one of those things where I shut down a little bit uh, to and from. But what's interesting about it is, you know, I'd get up at 4.30, I'd have some coffee, I'd get in the gym, I'd hit it for an hour. And then you're right into the instant grind of pack lunches, get the kids dressed, make breakfast, get in the car. Nate was on the way to school for me. So I drop him off, hop on the freeway and cruise on down. And, you know, I'd always be in the office by 7.45, 8 o'clock go all the way through till about five, you know, on a good day, I leave at five on a just crazy ass busy day. I leave at five thirty six, six thirty, And then I come home. And then when I get home, it's before COVID, it was just as much craziness. So my oldest daughter dances like six days a week. She's on a competitive dance team. So it's constantly who's going to pick her up. Who's going to drop her off. Is there another parent that we're helping out, you know, whatever it may be. Was she homeschooled? No. All three go to different schools. And the only reason I ask is I know a few dance daughters who are uh, all homeschooled because of the amount of, of workload. Oh, really? That's interesting. Yeah. No, she's not. She's, she goes to, and that's part of the, the, the struggle right now, is she goes to Madison number one. Hmm. And my wife and I loved, and I don't mean to go on a, a huge tangent here, but my wife and I loved Madison Heights, which was the elementary school where all three of them, well, actually, that's not true. Nathan and Logan went. And then it goes to fourth grade. So the next jump up was Madison number one, which is a big school. It's fifth through eighth graders. And as you know, there's a pretty big maturity difference between fifth graders and eighth graders. And so having them all in one place can be a little bit frightening as a parent. The kid thinks it's the greatest thing in the world because they're around older kids. But we're just like, oh, what are they going to be exposed to? Sex, drugs, smoking, you know, drinking, what's going to happen? And frankly, the school's not that bad. It just doesn't have the level of community that we had it at number one at Heights. And we started looking at private school and her class was the one that was full. So we couldn't move them last year. So we kept applying. And this year, all three of them got into private school. So like right when COVID hit, we told them that next year we're going to be sending you a new school. And then just the shit hit the fan. Like anytime there's any semblance of an argument with my oldest, it immediately pivots to, well, you're taking me out of my school and away from my friends. I hate you. You're the worst parents in the world. I'm just like, oh, like, how do we, how do we have a reasonable conversation if you're just going to completely back us into that corner every single time? How how do we win? That's a question I often ask my wife and I, as we look at each other, like, you know, uh, having these zero to four or five-year-olds, I honestly believe are much easier than having the 11 to 13-year-olds. I'm believing you right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because you know, they're different challenges, but the biggest challenge now is this the non the simple fact that they they don't truly listen to anything you say. Right. Whether it's like a cue or a tip or like a hack or like, hey, you should try doing it this way. This will save you some time and some energy or it's brush your teeth, wash your hands and put away your shit. It right. doesn't matter. They don't listen. 
and they don't listen at all. Yeah. And that's where I feel like my frustration level like amplifies. It goes from zero to 10 real fast. You know, and you try to not be that in something that resonated with me. And I don't know which article it was that you wrote in one of your emails, but it was just that they're always watching. So you try to go down the path of influential leadership, right? Which is not just a parenting concept. That's a concept professionally. It's a concept in athletics. It's a concept that's been around forever. So you think, okay, I'm going to do the right things. And the right things is show them that you're dedicated. You get up, you do your stuff, you make them breakfast, you're there for them, all that kind of stuff. But at the same time, you can see it when they're mimicking you blowing up. You can see it when they're blowing up at their brother or their sister because you did it. And you're just like, oh, why can't I stop? Why do I keep doing it? You don't see them mimicking the right things that you do. You see them mimicking the wrong things that you do. And you're just like, oh, holy cow, this is brutal. Totally agreed. Totally agreed. Yeah. I'm sure they are doing the right thing somewhere. You know, you get feedback. I don't know about you, but you feel like your kids are the worst kids in the world. And you're just like, God, they don't freaking listen. They don't do this. They don't do that. They go to their friend's house. They come back. Oh, they're such an angel. They help me make dinner. They clean the bathroom. They <laughs> took a scrub brush to the, to the grout and the tiles. Like, who, who are you talking about? Yeah, that's, that sounds about right. Yeah, it's, it's, a good, it's a good thing, right? You, you get to hear that positive feedback from others, but you wish you had it a little bit more from home. It would be nice. It would be nice. When we first met prior to you coming into the gym, you were already training out of the garage. Yeah. And then you went back to the garage, which is now a room. It's an mm -hmm. actual gym. Yeah. For the listeners, that this might be fairly new to them, right? Okay. Yeah. You know, we've been doing it since day one, even long before the functional fitness world. You know, I was doing body weight training. Yeah, for sure. Been doing that since we were in high school, since wrestling. What does your gym look like? How did you first get started in a garage gym? And then what is your training like? Just kind of walk us through all of that. Because with, with, with the virus and more and more <laughs> gyms and facilities yeah. not going to be opening back up, men, especially fathers, need to be empowered to be able to go put in some work in the garage or the house or the backyard yeah. every single day. Yeah, I appreciate you asking because it's something I am super passionate about. And it actually is tied to fatherhood, to be honest with you. So when I had my first, it was in 2008. She was born in the winter, in November. And then the first time it was time to take her to the pool over at my parents' house. They said, hey, come over. Let's go to the pool. Bring Logan. We'll put her in. I'm like, all right, cool. So we got this little six-month-old baby. We're in the pool. I'm in there floating her around in a little thing. And my mom's snapping pictures and whatnot. And she sends me, she emails me the pictures. And I, who is that fat fuck? That's literally what I said to myself. It's like, who is that? Like, you know, I was never some Adonis, but I played college hockey. I did stuff, you know what I mean? Like I, I had been in, in good shape in my life. And here I am at 28 and I'm like, oh man, this is a bad path. Like this does not, I mean, that's just pure vanity, right? We're not talking about anything more than, than vanity. No performance, no functionality, just purely looks. Yeah. I was just like, oh man. And that night I bought P90X off the infomercial. It happened to come on and I was just like, yep, that's it. I'm doing it. And it was a switch. Cause it was no like, oh, dip your toe in the water. It was, 
I had the diet book out. I had the DVD stacked up. I had my calendar, like I'm doing this, you know, full in. And I got through that program with, you know, the bare minimum that you could get through a, a, a chair and a pull-up bar for your doorway. And I think a couple resistance bands. Right. And I think I lost 30 pounds in that first 90 days. And I'm like, all right, this is fun. I feel good. Like wow. the vanity's getting better, but I feel good too. Like this is really cool. Um, so I went down that path for a while of doing some of those at home DVD programs. And I added stuff. I added some dumbbells and I added some balls and, you know, I kept adding things and mostly was just doing it in my bedroom, to be honest with you. And who knows how I got it. I don't know if you were doing pay-per-click advertising or what, but, and this is, I'm not on Facebook anymore, but I was then I saw this 24 hour fitness challenge. And I was like, at this point, I'm like pushing myself. I got to do more, do more, do more, do more. So I was like, yeah, I'm in, let's do it. So I show up at this gym with stuff, frankly, I hadn't seen before. I mean, barbells and bumper plates and rigs and people that are just like yoked. And I'm like, holy crap, what is going on right now? And they're just, there's just stuff flying around. There's noise, there's music, there's attractive people. I'm just like, damn. All right. Well, we'll see if they accept me and I'm going to hang out with them for 24 hours and we'll see how it goes. And I would tell you the one thing that I noticed about it was just the sense of community, right? I was a bit of an outsider. Nobody made me feel like an outsider. It seemed like a cool group of people that I wanted to be a part of. And I told my wife when it was done, I was like, it's not going to be convenient to our life at all. Driving 25 minutes to Scottsdale. At the time I worked in Phoenix, a mile from my house, there was nothing convenient about working out at CrossFit Scottsdale. Like, now it would be more convenient because I work by where it used to be. But, and I just said, I'm going to go once a week at least. Just, you know, I'll do stuff at home. I'll go once a week. But the one thing I remember taking away from that 24 hours was this book that you gave everybody. It was like a spiral bound journal. And yeah, it had uh, like success journal. Yeah. 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 It had like five, uh, five pages of body weight at home workouts. And my mindset at the time, I better master these fucking body weight workouts so that when I go into that gym once a week, I can do something. Like I'm not just a complete a basket case. And I remember the first one I did was like 275 pound deadlifts, 15 pull-ups and 10 handstand push-ups. And I'm just like, okay, I can't deadlift that much. I haven't picked up a barbell since college. Um, handstand push-up that's not happening you know you know what i mean i'm just like this is crazy town but i just figured if i did those body weight workouts i would at least get an engine built yeah that i could use when i went in there and try to get stronger um so i did it, I it, it was definitely a great place man community wise uh, yeah hard to beat hard to beat man for sure so I, I stuck with that and stuck with you guys for a while i did the once a week for a bit i ramped it up to two three times a week i tried to I tried to compete with some of your young studs in the uh, the competition team for a little while. And I will say I got in, uh, looking back at it now, I always felt like, you know, the last guy on the bench when I was there. Because frankly, there was guys quite a bit younger than you and me, um, <laughs> much more physically gifted than me for sure. And I was just always the last guy fighting for a spot on the team that felt like. But it, I look back at some of those photographs and whatnot, I was like, oh man, I was in pretty damn good shape. That's that's yeah, pretty yeah. cool. I, I, I'm 41 now. I think when I started that sport, I was 30. 
Yeah. You know, kind of just Too in old. that prime. Yeah. And I, and I look at those pictures too. Right. And I'm like, man, I think I'm in shape now. I Jack Diesel back in those days. Oh my God. I feel the same way. Yeah. It's crazy. So um, how, do you, how do you, now that you've moved back home now that we're all working yeah. out from home, but you, you really have never, aside from the, our gym, ever been a part of a gym. How do you stay motivated now at home with what you have and what does your programming look like? Yeah, it's a great question. So I, I've stuck with, you know, for convenience, I went back home. I continued to add stuff that looked more mirrored what you were doing at the CrossFit gym. So I added barbells and bumper plates and a, and a squat rack and, uh, you know, all the balls and stuff like that. So I accumulated things over time, a combination of Craigslist and uh, Rogue Fitness and, and all that kind of stuff. And it's funny as it's gone on and I've gotten a little bit more in tune with my body and what I can handle. I will last with programming for a year until I get bored. And then I have to switch programming, um, which is kind of cool. That's a pretty good amount of time, I think, to test something out and see how your body feels. Um, so I've gone through quite a few different iterations of programming. I've done, you knew the guys at OPEX, right? You used to train with the James and those yeah. guys. I did remote coaching with them for a while, for about a year until I was just like, okay, well, I need to move on and do something else. That was really fun. I've done, uh, I did CrossFit football for quite a while, uh, right, pretty much right after we finished at the, at the CrossFit Sick Fit gym. Were, were you drinking whole milk too in that program? The, the first time I did, yeah. <laughs> uh, you gain weight fast. Yeah, we call it GOMAD, right? Gallon yeah. of milk a day. I, I just saw, I want to say, not TJ Barber, but... Um, Oh, the three brothers in the league. One of them uh, plays for Texas. Um, oh, uh, like Rondé Barber, Barber and Tiki Barber? No, no, no. White, white front line. Uh, shit, he's a Texan and his brother's on the Steelers. Uh, not oh, TJ Watt? TJ Watt. TJ Watt, yeah. TJ Watt posted, he said, does anybody else have two glasses of milk at dinner every night when they were growing up? Like, oh yeah, that's what it takes. Yeah. Right? Now at 40, we don't need to be drinking any milk at all. No, yeah. no, no, no. That's not happening. That, that go mad works well. And if you got kids who want to gain weight, my son's on it right now. Uh, oh, really? He, he drank three glasses. Well, he's undersized. He hasn't grown yet. It, it hasn't yeah. grown. He hasn't, his balls yeah. haven't dropped. Uh, sure. So he's outsized by about 80% of the kids he plays against. Oh, wow. And he's Plan? stronger and faster and more skilled. But at this age, they're looking for, they want size. Yeah. Football? Football, basketball, baseball, it doesn't even matter. It's just nice. football for sure. He, in basketball, like it's uncomfortable oftentimes because he yeah. just knows like, you know, I'm going to fight you with all I got, but it's just not right. I'm, I'm that much smaller than everyone else. So he's, he's hitting it hard right now. Yeah, no, I get it. I get it. I was always fortunate to be at least tall. I wasn't always the biggest guy. I'm kind of tall and lanky, but like, even if I look back at freshman football, had I not been six foot one, I was only 175 pounds. I was, a, you know, it was about the thickness of this pen, but they're like, ah, oh, six one, he'll grow into it. He's on the team. You know, didn't really matter at that point. So I, I had that going for me. Certainly not the most skilled guy by any stretch of the imagination, but I definitely had that, that going for me. I graduated so, high school 155. Yeah. That's small. That is small. Now, 5'11", 6 foot. Uh, uh, you know, I, 
you haven't seen me in real life in a minute, but I'm I'm an extra medium man. This is like one. <laughs> this is like one seventy three right now. Yeah, I got thirty pounds on you. Oh, woo! But you're also lifting, right? So how many days a week are you? Are you lifting? Yes, this is great. Uh, so the programming I'm on today is actually a really good lifestyle fit. So the guy John Wellborn, who yep. founded Probably CrossFit football, football. Mm-hmm. he's got all sorts of other programs now, and he's got one that he calls Grindstone, and it's built for older guys, professionals, parents. He founded the programming when he had his twins, and he was starting his wellness business, and it's built around two mandatory heavy days a week. excuse me, where you do your heavy lifting. So, you know, leg day and upper day, and then two recommended days a week, which are mostly conditioning based and a lot of the functional fitness stuff. And then one optional day, which is kind of a bodybuilding day, to be honest with you. It's like gun show, a little bit of conditioning, which is, which is kind of fun, but at the bare minimum, you get in your two days and that's it. You'll still make gains as long as you hit it hard, whatnot. But if you can fit in one more, two more, three more, whatever it may be, that's that's how it fits. And that program has been the best for me in terms of recovery because, like you said, at forty, if I'm hurting, like everything just goes to shit. Like the, the training day sucks. The you just don't feel good at home. Like not, nothing goes good. So the recovery has been better because it gives you the opportunity to recover if you need it. But if you feel good, it gives you the opportunity to go after it and do more. And then the other side of it is just the injury side. Um, I've had a couple of knee surgeries and it's funny, I was doing grindstone. I got bored. So I went for my annual switch up and I tried to go back to what is now called Johnny Wad, which is the old CrossFit football. And I hurt my knee within a month. Had to go have surgery, get it scoped. Oh like, shit! The that whole deal. bad. Yeah. yeah, tore the meniscus completely. They had to take it out. So now I'm back on the grindstone, rebuilding my strength in my lower half because you know I, it's crazy how quick it atrophies. I had surgery November first, Nate's birthday last year, and went through PT. Um, that was actually kind of fun. I went to a place called Exos. I don't know if you're familiar with those guys. Oh or not. yeah, yeah, yeah. Woo. Talk about feeling like a fish out of water. It's all professional athletes. And I was there during uh, combine training. So all these 18-year-olds that are like 6'6", 6'7", 350 pounds, 18 packs, just guns everywhere. You're just like, holy cow. All right. Aaron Aaron, Aaron Judge trains there when he's in town. I met him there. Yeah. Oh, yeah, dude. He's rock solid, man. He's giant. Yeah. Like he could be a defensive end in the NFL. Yeah. We, we've ran into him twice. Uh, once at a son's game, Cannon got a picture with him and once, yep. once out at the mall and Camille got a picture. Uh, He's a beast. He just stands out. So, you know, it's like something's not right in my vision. Yeah. So, something's bigger than everything else. What is that? Oh shit. I saw him first uh, at the mall and because I saw the Mohawk or the Fauxhawk <laughs> and my daughter's got a crush on him. You know, we're Yankees fans. So yeah. he's, uh, he, he's a beast, man. And he's got, he's got years to grow in terms of his skills and how he plays. Oh, sure. But, but Exos, man, it's, uh, it's another one of those facilities that we're extremely fortunate to have in the backyard between that and, and Exos, um, OPEX, you know, there's, there's yeah. a lot of really cool trainings which is great, but guys like you and me, we're doing it from home, right? Yeah. So that's yep. been really good for you and for me. If somebody's listening to this right now, what would be the 
what would be your starter kit? If you could buy equipment online, which you can't mm-hmm. right now. Right? Yeah, Sold I know. Everything's, <laughs> yep. What would be the three pieces in order that you would recommend? I would recommend a barbell, which is going to have some weights that go with it. So I'm going to keep those together as one, a barbell and some weights to stick on them. Um, power blocks, because then you can get all your dumbbells in one. And if you can afford it, get an air bike. Airdyne over a rower. Lately, for me, yeah. I had a rower. I like the rower. I kind of wish I still had it. But the, uh, the amount of torture you can put yourself through on an air bike is all under your control. And uh, the harder you go, the, you can't build the engine up enough to like master it. It's impossible. I guess for me with the rower... Sorry, I guess for me with the rower was because of my length, I got really good at it. Like I knew how many strokes it was going to take me to do a 500. I knew like I could, I could control myself into a point where I could beat almost anybody on the rower, knowing exactly my recovery, my this, my cadence, and this and that. Whereas in the airdyne, okay, I'm getting better at it, so I go harder, and it sucks again. Yeah, you you became a master of that skill, and that's that's what rowing is. It's yeah technologically a skill mm-hmm. uh, i've got an airdyne but it's like an 89 i used to have one of those yeah and it works yeah it works for what we're doing which is really sure. just to to move mm-hmm. uh walking mm-hmm. <laughs> no equipment needed in that one i'm going lunges yeah and well that's not equipment for me walking lunges push-ups would be my three go-tos from a body weight standpoint yep from an equipment standpoint I'm going kettlebell, jump rope, and pull-ups, pull-up bar. I'm going to agree with you on the pull-up bar. I would, I would probably sneak that one in because I have a love-hate with pull-ups. What would you take out? If you had to take one out for the pull-up bar, which one would it be? Probably the Airdyne. Yeah. Because you can run, you can walk, you can... You can condition, for You sure. can lunge, yeah. You were also one of the first adopters in doing video. Hmm. So, you know, you think about your foundation going back to home gym Mm -hmm. and visiting schools, shooting videos of people. Walk us through that time in your life because you're still one of the first guys I know to to actually do that. Yeah. That's that's pre-social media. You were were social media before social media. Yeah, it's funny that you put it that way. But when I graduated college, I, we were talking about this in show prep, like I don't love rules and process and all that kind of stuff. So I was just like, I'm not getting a job. I'm going to start a company. So I started a company with a friend of mine. It was a, it was a production company and we found our way. We did some cool stuff, but we did a lot of just random video stuff. We would go shoot events for people, you know, create their little highlight reels that they would use at their closing. I did a lot of sports video personally. I would go shoot for high schools. I would put highlight reels together for athletes So I did a lot of that kind of stuff over time and it was really cool to help other people. This is before you could just load up your video to huddle or whatever the current application is. Now you had to either create a VHS tape in my early days or a DVD that you sent out to coaches. So you were, you know, creating social awareness with hard copy stuff. Right. And just the, the evolution of that and how fast, I mean, my first camera when I started my business was a huge, like shoulder mount you know, massive ENG broadcast quality camera that costs. What year? What what year is that? 
that was oh two so it's not even that long ago wow and you think about how quickly technology where we are we can all shoot pretty good video on our phone like everything i put on linkedin now is all phone right i mean i don't have anything more than that and the quality is as good if not better than what i did back then and it's funny i was just telling i just bought this external hard drive right this is like five gigs or something or five terabytes. I don't even know what it is, but it's a lot of space. When I had my company, I used to spend $500 a pop on these huge hard drives that had like their own built-in fans. I remember that. Power supplies, all this kind of crazy stuff just to like store, not even close to the amount of storage that that little thing has. It just is a USB plug into my computer. So the evolution of video is crazy. Um, as it's evolved into my current role, Hold I was on, a what really were you early. charging? What, what were your fees for that service at the time? Highlight videos? Uh, highlight videos were $350 a piece. And how many hours or games would you film? Well, if you were a kid who played for one of the schools I videotaped, I videotaped all the games. And those were mostly where I got the kids from because it was an economic advantage for them. I didn't have to go film games. I could just grab the game film, pull their had. stuff out. Yeah. Take what I had. If I had to go film games for them, it was going to cost them, you know, closer to a thousand dollars. Cause I had to spend the time going to get at least five games of footage so that we had some stuff to go off of. Now, a lot of times their dad would do it and just bring me raw stuff that I could try to work with. But um, yeah. So even then, you know, three fifty, I don't think was too bad. I don't know what they charge for that stuff. Now. I think most of the kids probably do it themselves. Now sure. they can cut it together on their phone or an iMovie or whatever. Um, as I thought about my current business, the, I don't know if you know this or not, but I went to broadcast school and early on in broadcast school, I was interested in radio and I got pushed towards the business side just because I was a pretty, I was pretty naturally good at sales. And I remember I had this one teacher who told me, listen, you can work your whole life in front of the camera. And maybe in 20, 30 years, have a normal life with a normal schedule and make okay money. Or you can go to the business side now and live a normal life from the beginning and make real money fast. <laughs> I was like, okay. So I took an internship that he helped me get at a radio station, small AM radio station, which was kind of cool because the guy let me uh, co-host a show with him for a little while. But they handed me a phone book and said, here, go after it. Go, go call some people. Cold calling, baby. Yeah. And it's funny because it's my early entree into marketing, which is the world I'm in now where I was like, well, I'm not just going to call everybody. So I asked the station who advertises with you now, who, you know, and it was like boutique shops and golf courses. So I created my own little ideal customer profile that I would call on because I had use cases that I could back up against and say, Hey, people like you are doing this. I could go to these shops and I could, you know, tell a story around people that are doing it. So, you know, what people are doing in modern marketing now by creating their ideal customer profile and their buyer personas and things like that was stuff I was doing, you know, 20 years ago to try to cold call more effectively. Cause I didn't want to just call a bunch of random people. Um, so when I was Fast forwarding a little bit, I started adopting LinkedIn. I've never been a super savvy social media guy, but I like the concept of LinkedIn, just the tight community of business professionals that have a common thread. And I started building that up, but 
as video started to become more and more popular with iPhones and Facebook and Instagram and all those things were really killing it, it felt like a good place to do something that I really like to do, which is speak. Much like you, I love to be a public speaker. I love to be out in front. I love to do a lot of that stuff. So it was an opportunity to highlight things that I like to do and showcase some of those skills, but also highlight our community at the office. We have a group of really, really smart marketers. And I was able to use that format to bring them to the forefront as well and highlight their skills in a non-salesy way. If, if yeah, yeah, if you could take a moment here and uh, drop what we call shameless self-promotion, not only your podcast, but your business and contact info as well. Yeah, for sure. So my podcast is the Love Selling Hate Sales Podcast, and it's really dedicated to the art versus the science of sales, the relationship building versus the metrics. And I talk to sales leaders, I talk to marketing leaders, and really dive into how they approach those different things. And then I work for an organization called LeadMD. You can find us at leadmd.com, L-E-A-D-M-D.com. We are a modern marketing, modern performance marketing consultancy. And we really are, if you think about historical marketing and the four Ps, product, price, placement, promotion, we believe that modern marketing has a fifth P and that's performance. If you can't track it, measure it, and tie it to revenue, it doesn't matter. And that's what we're focused on. Do you track all your workouts? I do. So you can go back a decade and, and log logs and logs? Yeah, I think I still have that book. I logged it in that for quite a while, actually. And now everything's in an app, so it's super easy. You can just uh, yeah. plug it into the app. Yeah. All right. Those four people that mean more to you than anyone else in this world that are just a couple <laughs> feet away from you. Yeah. What would you say they would say is your greatest gift as a father? What's your biggest contribution to this family? <laughs> well, unfortunately for my kids, they are spoiled and they are very into very tangible things right now. So they would probably say that, you know, I have the ability to get things because it's hard for us to say no, right? It's, you have that childhood thing of like, oh, I hated it when they say no and now I can do it. So I do it. Um, so you'd probably hear that from them. They're fairly little. Hopefully that changes as they get older. And I think for my wife, it's just the fact that I'm so focused on making sure that we're secure. And I, I think that's the thing that, that she would say, and hopefully she would say. So security and safety are something that really resonates from your position as, as a father. Absolutely. You know, I don't know how much time we have left, but I was listening to your story on your webinar this morning and I don't have that story, right? I don't have that intense, like lack of father figure. I don't have that traumatic scenario that definitely pushes people right in one direction or the other. My dad was awesome. He still is awesome. Like he's a kick-ass dude. And I think for me, if you dig into the fear side of it, how did he always make it look so easy? Right. He is an uneducated guy. He, he barely graduated high school. He started a construction company because he got laid off from another construction company and just started swinging a hammer. Right. So he's, he's a blue collar guy, but all I remember is he was successful and he made my relationship with my mom look so easy. How did he do that? Cause so for me now, I, I push, I want to be successful. I want to make sure that whatever he did for us, I can do. 
and I don't want to be any less than he was. So I have that, right? And then being in a relationship for a, probably close to as long as you have now, I think it's 13 years. It's not easy. There's nothing easy about it. Communication is hard. You know, when I, when things don't go my way, I tend to be an asshole. You know what I mean? So how do I, <laughs> I control those things. And I'm sure my mom would say it was not always perfect, but at the same time, and I have this, you know, very high regard that I hold for my dad and how effortless it seemed like he made things happen. Um, I don't know. It's, it's interesting. Yeah, that's, that's the extremely important and valuable contrast in mm-hmm. fatherhood, right? It's not supposed to be the same for everyone. Right. You know, I, I often joke and say, you know, I, I was raised by Bill Cosby, Homer <laughs> Simpson, and Al Bundy. Sure. Right? Those are the three positive male role models. And look what happened to one, one of them, right? <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, exactly. Of the two, Homer's probably the best, right? The most normal, yeah. Yeah, and, and we know what he was like. So mm-hmm. h- how we learn, how we become the dads that we are is a lot less important than the fact that we become the ones that we want to be mm-hmm. and the ones that our kid wants us to be. Yeah. Right. And, and, you know, there's so many different topics that go into fatherhood, but the one that I, I've been talking to all my, my clients about and people about is like, look for keywords, right? Listen, we, we always often want to talk. We're the authority, we're the adult, we're the coach, mm-hmm. we're the parent, we're the dad. Hey, listen. So but when you can listen to what they're actually wanting, I, I, I want to say maybe three months ago, pre COVID, um, both of my kids wanted me to play Mm -hmm. just that word play. And it got down to a nuclear meltdown. Mom was traveling in New York and they wanted to play and I needed to work and I just lost my shit. Right. I shreked Mm -hmm. out, I raged out. Mm -hmm. And then the next day I came back to, okay, what did I learn from this? I learned that my kids are asking me to do one thing with them, not buy them something, not read them something, not go somewhere. It was mm-hmm. play. Yep. Guilty. And had I played in that moment, sure. we may not have gone to that point. Yep. I've been there, man. I, I don't know how to tell you how much I understand what you're saying. <laughs> been there. Well, I just want to thank you, Josh. It's, it really is so good uh, to, to reconnect with you again, man. Twice in one day, you know, you talked about uh, building relationships and, and the value and importance of that. And now more than ever, you know, the ability to be able to communicate and connect with people, um, especially dads, we have to do this. We yeah. have to be visible. We have to give back. You know, I've been FaceTiming people lately, just straight out the gate. That's right? awesome. And accept it or don't. I'm FaceTiming yeah. you. I want to see your face. That's great. I love it. So I, I thank you and I honor you for, for sharing and opening up uh, about your, your role as a father and, and all the work that you've done. I appreciate you for being here, Josh. Yeah, my pleasure. It was super fun and it, it was great to see your face, man. It's been too long. So after all of this, hopefully we can get together again. For, for sure. And if not, we'll do a virtual workout right here uh, Let's in, do it. In, in our home gyms. There we go. Thank you guys for being here today. We truly appreciate you. You could be anywhere in the world, but yet... You chose to listen to two dads talk about the most valuable job they will ever have, the role as fatherhood. If you 
got some value from this, if you enjoyed it, if you learned something, all we ask is that you pay it forward and you share this message. Send it to somebody. Give us a review on Apple iTunes and let us know how we're doing. Thanks again, Josh. Appreciate you, brother.